Welcome to the Internet Report, where we uncover what's working and what's breaking on the internet and why. Today I'm joined by Mike Hips, who's Principal Solutions Analyst here at Thousand Eyes. And we have two really interesting application outages that we're going to talk about. So really excited that he's able to join us today. So welcome, Mike. All right, thanks, Angelique. It's always a pleasure to be here. Yeah, um, so the two outages that we're gonna cover today didn't happen last week. They actually, they actually happened a couple weeks back. So one of them happened on May 19th and the other one on May 20th. And both mm -hmm. of them are um, very well-known applications. One of them has sort of a financial um, impact and the other is, is very tied into how many uh, businesses uh, communicate today. Uh, so yes. we had an issue with Bitcoin, or rather an issue with Coinbase, who is sort of a yeah. Bitcoin broker, and uh, Slack. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, one of the important things is, you know, we're always talking about the end-to-end -end and the, the, the network. This is a combination of the application relying on that underlying network infrastructure and, and what can go wrong. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So. Oftentimes, some of the outages that we cover, they have a, either a, a network component or maybe a routing, um, internet routing um, issue that might then impact the network. Um, in these particular instances, we're going to look at what we are able to see at the application layer that gives us some clues that align to what we now know uh, was the issues uh, that caused some of these incidents. So hmm. we're going to start first with the Coinbase outage. So we're going to walk through that. This particular incident occurred on May 19th, and it started fairly early in the morning. So it was 12.50 UTC, and that is um, 5.50 a.m. Pacific time and 8.50 a.m. Um, on the East Coast. And so this basically happened as many people were waking up to the news that the Chinese government had cracked down on um, Bitcoin uh, or the usage of Bitcoin by banks in in China. Yeah, that's, that's correct. So um, there, there was several outside influences, I guess. The um, as you said, the the, the Chinese currency, uh, sorry, the Chinese uh, uh, government decided to set some crackdown on all cryptocurrencies. It wasn't specific to Bitcoin. It was just stopped using those areas there. And then there was other organisations who actually had, had made decisions to stop uh, accepting Bitcoin. Um, in particular for their, uh, for, in return for some of their products. So all this right. stuff sort of build up. Right, and Coinbase is a, Coinbase is a very well-known um, Bitcoin brokerage or cryptocurrency uh, brokerage mm. uh, company. And so in order to like, for a lot of people, the way that they access their, their, um, their Bitcoin and the way that they transact on it is through this brokerage. Um, and so what we can see here is that beginning at around 8.50 Eastern time, we can start to see a dip in availability. And we can also see, you know, as it starts, that we start to see timeouts. So basically mm. the, um, you know, users around the globe trying to connect to Coinbase's site are getting, um, you know, it's taking a long time for them to get responses. In this case, it was over five seconds and you know at that point like they're, they're still not able to get a response so clearly indicates that there's something that's not quite right happening at the application and then a little bit further along we can see things like um, 502 bad gateway um, sort of indicating that the server that we're connecting to is not able to reach 
the application on the back end. Yeah, exactly. I think it's sorry. I think it's important to point out there. You know, what we're looking at here is we're actually looking at the application, the Coinbase stuff. There's there, there's a, a number of things going on in the back end, which we, which we're going to get to. But what we're saying here is that people actually can't get on to do trades uh, at this time. So the service and the application itself becomes unavailable. Right, and we see several different types of issues. So in in one instance, we see um, here we're just getting a timeout. Um, we have a particular threshold of five seconds set. Um, and it's, it's clearly taking longer than that. And then we're also seeing 502 bad gateway, but we're also seeing 429 too many requests, again, sort of indicating that there's probably too much load um, on the application in order for it to fill requests. So it's you know, not even able to um, you know, serve up the, the, you know, the homepage for Coinbase, let alone process transactions. And so exactly. this is you know, pretty significant um, in terms of like, you know, throughout these, um, this period, um, there's, you know, it's, it's somewhat intermittent, but for the most part, we see that most users would not have been able to connect to Coinbase and probably would have had issues logging in. And once they, you know, even if they were able to successfully log in, um, they probably wouldn't have been able to um, make trades at that point. Um, yeah, that's correct. Yeah. That are sat in a pending state. So they've gone through their process, they'd load up the application, and then when they started to do something, it would, have, it would have sat there and just returned this message, your trade is pending. Right, right. So it's, I mean, here at this point in time, we're basically at like the four hour mark in terms of mm -hmm. how long the, in, the issue has persisted. So basically, we don't start to see a normalization in terms of availability until basically four hours later, which is yeah. pretty significant if you, you know, are suddenly realizing that the the value of Bitcoin is starting to plunge and you want to, you know, maybe get yes. in and, you know, execute your transactions and you're simply not able to do that because the service that you're using is unavailable. And just to kind of um, reinforce the, the application related nature of this if we look for example the network paths to the application servers we can see that everything looks good here there's no outsized packet loss and we can see that the front end of this application is being served by cloudflare so it's a cdm provider they have a lot of um, servers that are lo located around the globe and that all looked fine they were able to reach the servers but it seems like the application wasn't responding and so yeah. because of that, and we've it, seen those errors, yeah. Exactly. There's a couple of things in there. So, so the, the first one is that the network tells us an incredible story about what's happening at an application level. You know, it is the biggest part of the journey that you're going to go through. So, but at the same time, then, the fact then that we're actually having messages come back from the server. So those 500 errors, those 429s, are responses from the server to a transaction or a request coming in there. So, you know, we're able to tell so many things by looking at this network traffic, I guess is the, the point I want to make there. Right, right. Yeah, that's a really good point because not only do we see like, yeah, from a network standpoint, everything looks fine. You can reach the server. And of course we know you can reach the server because you're getting a response from the server. Um, exactly. You weren't able to get there, you know, it wouldn't, uh, you, that wouldn't have been possible. So, you know, the application um, is, is respond, responding in some fashion. Now, what's sort of interesting about this in terms of, you know, the, the severe nature of it, the prolonged nature of it, um, mm. the impact that it had, you know, again, like if you're not able to uh, do something with the financial service that's like four hours, I mean, that's pretty significant. Um, but why would Coinbase not 
be able to keep up with the increased load. I mean, there's a lot of applications yeah. where, you know, they might be able to sort of elastically, um, you know, uh, kind of scale in order to meet, you know, this new demand, but that didn't seem to be the case with Coinbase. Yeah, absolutely. This is a great question. You know, there's a couple of things that occurred here on the outside. So first of all, we talked about this outside influence and the point you pulled out there about the four hours, you know, things can happen dramatically. So what we saw here was was a, 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 a plunge based on the information that we'd see there. Um, it, the, the price dropped dramatically within that first hour of, of trading. So this is when people are trying to get on. There's also a whole bunch of uh, automatic sell positions that were really triggered at that moment in time. Now. What happens in this is you said, you know, systems can actually scale correctly or automatically. We can do, we can expand. You know, we live in this world with this, this elastic nature where everything can be sort of dynamically sized and come across from there. And to be fair to Coinbase, they've done a fantastic job with their front end, you know, through the CDN providers and everything that actually do that. But where they're limited then is the architecture that sits essentially within the back end of this. To, to transact or to complete their trades, they're going to utilize a Bitcoin a Bitcoin, a blockchain type of environment. They're going to sell Bitcoin. They're going to develop a, 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 a utilize a blockchain in the back end. Now, blockchain by its very nature is a completely distributed architecture. Um, it's also, uh, it's, it's because of the transactions or what it's doing from a central ledger perspective, it relies on a high level of trust to take place between there, which means that every one of the nodes which is involved in the blockchains, and it can be any number of nodes across from there, have to verify with each other to, to build this basis of trust. Um, and then it's not just as, as we do between the two peering points, for example, we're going to have to do this between every node that's involved in that blockchain process that goes through this. And this has to take place for the, the, the trades uh, that, are, that are going on or the transactions that are occurring. And because of this, and coupled with the distri distributed architecture you've got from there, and it's incredibly distributed, you don't know where any one of these nodes are going to be within this, this blockchain environment there. We have the network latency, but also this extra traffic is going to be created for the verification that's not necessarily involved with the, the trade and all this exchange of information that goes on. Add all these things up together, and what we get is this, um, uh, let's just call it a bottleneck, or this performance that we actually can't architect around. Is something outside of their um, uh, their uh, what's what I'm looking for outside of their control. Yeah. They can actually do from there. So what we saw when was going on on, on this, where where this outside the, the price dropped, and I said the automatic sell positions came in, and um, and uh, and people themselves try to get on to 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 sell or to trade their Bitcoin or even buy when it was actually coming towards the bottom there. What they then found was that the, the transactions themselves couldn't be completed by the Bitcoin. So we got this, this pushback effect coming into servers. And then the server itself, it wasn't that they were necessarily had this many requests coming into the server, although undoubtedly that traffic would have increased. But what it was was that the actual the 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 south of that effectively, this how do we execute on these transactions, which became the bottleneck and the and the the, the slow process. And unfortunately, there's not a lot they can do about that in terms of architecture. Mm -hmm. They rely on the, the this uh, blockchain to be able to do these transactions, these trades, and so they're limited by this architecture that goes on. So, there's, like I said, it's not like they could have done in this situation. Yeah, it's interesting just how the issue that they experienced very cleanly mapped to this plunge in the value of yeah. Bitcoin. I mean, it, over a very short period of time, the value fell by. 30%. And we see, you know, that just as it started to go down, that's really when we saw like these issues occurring with, with this service. And to your point, 
somewhat out, outside of their control. And, you know, the, the Bitcoin, there's a level of volatility in it, you know, it's subject to um, news like this, um, to, you know, regulation, to even tweets from, from well-known figures. <laughs> and, and that can, uh, you know, it's very unpredictable in terms of knowing when you're going to have sort of a rush on the, the, you know, the Coinbase, so to speak, or, the, or Bitcoin. Um, yeah, so yeah. That, that was pretty interesting, you know, just to kind of see how these external factors had a direct relationship on the service. And, you know, in terms of lessons learned, well, you know, in this case, it's really about understanding that in some cases, even the application provider is not able to, you know, it may just be out of their hands in terms of being able to service all of the requests that might come in around transactions like this. So, you know, just something to keep in mind in terms of, exactly. of you know, uh, this particular situation in the Bitcoin. So um, that was uh, that was an interesting one. We also saw another application outage that happened the day after. And uh, it was similar in some respect from the standpoint of it being application related, not network related. We saw some similar errors throughout the incident. This was uh, Slack. You know, and as we know, Slack is is um, heavily used by many organizations to facilitate, you know, very rapid communication between employees. And this started really during the the workday in terms of the U.S. So it started around uh, 1735 UTC. So it was around um, 10 1035 a.m. Uh, Pacific time, um, 135 a.m. Uh, excuse me, 1.35 p.m. Uh, Eastern time. So that's kind of really in the thick of, of the, the workday. And then, um, you know, continued to have um, issues throughout. And all of these, you know, again, we see here, these are 500 errors, internal server mm -hmm. errors. Yeah, absolutely. And this, this makes the, the, the service unusable. You know, we, we, we come across there. I mean, um, I got lucky. I was asleep during that process in time. But as you said, organisations live and die on this um, uh, this communications ability to communicate. And when we're seeing these, it just it was just unusable. Right, right. And and very similar to Coinbase, if we look at the network path, we uh, we don't really see all that much in terms of the you know, the availability of the application servers from a network standpoint. So we don't see, you know, any kind of systemic loss across like these network paths. We can see that these nodes are, um, you know, servers located within Amazon. So these are EC2 instances that are distributed around the globe. So it doesn't look like that um, Slack is using Amazon's CDN service CloudFront. They're really directing users uh, to specific instances that are hosting, in, um, you know, instances of their application. And, yeah. um, you know, and they're available, they're up, um, they're reachable. And of course, very similar to the Coinbase incident, um, it's also apparent that they're reachable at the application layer because you're getting a response to the server and it's saying that it's just simply not able to fulfill your request. Exactly. And then, you know, the other telltale signs that you said there is that the network's up, but also the fact this is using all these CDM providers, right. it, it, it's, it's not, it's impacting everybody. So therefore, right. you know, we can reduce the application itself. So. Right, exactly. A CDM provider in the case of Coinbase, in this case, they just happen to have distributed their own instances across Amazon's network. So, you know, or AWS. So it's, you know, it, it, it's not 
something related to like servers or uh, that are hosted in a particular yeah. region. It's not infrastructure related or network related. It's really, you know, the application. Um, so if we just go back up here to kind of get, you know, just an overview, um, it, it really did vary, it seemed, depending on the customer and, and the location of the users. And throughout the incident, it was also um, something that, that kind of varied in terms of, of its impact. And Slack had mm -hmm. said that this was due to like a code change or code push that they made. And, um, you know, because of that, it sort of, you know, affected their customers, um, but it wasn't, you know, uniform throughout. Um, so in this case, you know, we can see um, you know, it just changed throughout the incident. And then, at least in this case, we can see that it, it came back up about 90 minutes after the start of the incident. So not quite as long as the Coinbase incident, but still, yeah. you know, enough to have impacted probably, US users. Yeah, probably, probably, probably not the same financial impact, but, but still right. impact in terms of productivity that, that, that went on uh, during that process. Right. Uh, time. Yeah, what, what the biggest productivity yeah, that was impacted. Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um less stressful but right. but um yeah the, the the other thing from this is that they slack said that they had um that a code release uh that went wrong or there was a problem with the code release from there uh, that got pushed the wrong area or or, or was actually incorrect when it crossed there but they rolled it back so mm -hmm. when you see that recovering isn't a sense mm -hmm. of the system recovering itself it's actually rolled back the code uh, release mm -hmm. to actually do it sort of, sort of later on yeah, that's interesting. And, and, you know, because of that, we can see, you know, some instances coming uh, back up sooner than others. Um, and yeah. yeah, so I mean, it, clearly not something that's optimal, but it seemed like they were able to very quickly correct the situation and, um, and get it back up and running, um, yeah. you know, in within 90 minutes. So, so that's all yeah, good. Exactly. Yeah, an interesting point to that as well, or an interesting point to me, maybe not to others, is is that um, uh, this, this is this is all part like so they're doing their co-release. So, so you know, you said this is during the US day, so this is during business hours, which actually impacted there. What we're seeing, and you know, we've all been inundated with these push to the applications to upgrade, upload, up, uh, improve, or enhance, or whatever it is, do do a refresh. Was the word I was desperately searching for um, to do that. So this is like a, a continuous integration, continuous deployment type of process that goes on from there. What we saw in this methodology then was also then the ability to have some sort of feedback mechanism. We did a release. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've gone through all our tests. What tells me that it didn't work? So, you know, very quick, as you said, that it wasn't the four hour outage they're able to there uh, because of the feedback mechanism that you see essentially coming from the network because this is how my users are impacting it and are being impacted. And then we can actually roll back that change or take other sort of uh, remediation or mitigation uh, tactics around it. So, you know, this is everything coming together again. We need to understand that complete journey so that um, okay. we can understand this, this whole life cycle, I guess. Yeah, that's a really good point because they made this code change during effectively business hours in the US, it appeared. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, while that may seem like that's a risky thing to do, I mean, we don't seem to have a lot of these incidents from Slack and that seems to be kind of part of their, um, you know, operational um, norm um, to yep. do this, to your point. Um, but because they likely had these processes in place to, to sort of identify very quickly if issues were were occurring as a result of this rollout they were able to kind of you know pull it back um so 
yeah, that, that's, um, that's good to see. And, uh, and, you know, we can kind of chart that out and, and uh, observe that from, you know, these various locations around, around the globe. So that was uh, a very high level overview of two application uh, related issues that we saw, you know, of course, we've um, also uh, have noticed that there's a lot of security incidents that have been taking place recently, um, and perhaps we'll we'll cover that and, and have someone on to discuss at a future date. Um, um, but that's all we have for today. So thank you so much, Mike, for joining us and walking us through these these application related issues. Um, if you subscribe to the podcast, um, we will provide you a free T-shirt. So please do that, um, and you can. Uh, send your t-shirt size and address to internetreport at thousandeyes.com and we'll get that right over to you. So until next time. <laughs>